You're listening to the Inspired Legacy Podcast on the Edify Podcast Network. This is episode 77. Put God first. Hey guys, it's Mark, your host and founder of the Inspired Legacy. As always, this is the show that equips and inspires you to leave a godly legacy. And if you've been following the show, you probably noticed that there was a period of time there where we didn't release any episodes. I think it's been about a month, actually. And it was just one of those situations where uh, life kind of snuck up on me. I got slammed with some work. We had some travel mixed in there. And I just needed to take some time away from the microphone to recharge and quite honestly kind of get refocused. Um, lining up guests is a bit of a chore. And so we've been doing that on the back end and we've got an interesting show today and we've got some really good guests coming up in the coming weeks. So I want you to stay tuned. But again, today we're talking with a guy by the name of Victor Marks and Victor is what you would call, I guess, a high risk humanitarian. The organization he founded, it's called all things possible ministries. And it regularly places himself and his team in harm's way to reach and restore victims of trauma from around the world. And they've had successful missions in Iraq, Syria, North Africa, and Southeast Asia. And quite often, these are in places that are what you would call non-permissive and high threat environments. Uh, In our conversation today, Victor really unpacks his whole life story. Uh, You know, he was severely abused and tortured as a child. And then by the time he graduated high school, he understandably so his life was full of drugs fights and theft but he joined the marine corps after high school he was introduced to structure and discipline as you can imagine and he eventually discovered jesus and you're going to hear all about that in our conversation today and by developing a faith that has helped him recover from his traumatic childhood and it empowers him to help others so today victor focuses attention to the plights of those affected by ISIS, as well as troubled juveniles. And he supports the military, all branches of the military, including the special operations communities. Um, I think you're going to find this conversation not only intriguing, but really convicting. Victor's message of faith, his resilience and overcoming incredible hardship, it's really nothing short of inspiring. And his mission to affect change in the world, again, often in some of the most troubled corners of our world, It should challenge all of us to be better Christians, neighbors, parents, and people. Victor, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate the opportunity to be here, brother. It is an honor to have you on. Followed you online for a while, and um, you've you've got an interesting story, to say the least, which we're going to dive into. But before we get there, why don't you just tell the audience a little bit more about who you are, what you've got going on at home. Well, former Marine. Uh, served underneath Ronald Reagan, so that tells uh, that tells my age. We we actually used wooden wagons and powdered guns. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I you know I have a troubled background as a kid, and I think my story is one of redemption. It's it's common. Uh, to me, because I've dealt with so many people who come from bad backgrounds. Yeah. Uh, I tell people this, I'm an ordinary person who's been able to do some extraordinary things because of the grace of God. So I think we're best known for two things. Somebody may recognize I, I, I was the 
I hold the world record for the fastest gun disarm. That's the hook that gets a lot of people, whether the single or double gun disarm. I think we're over 200 million views right now in the social media world. <clears throat> and uh, that's, that's actually been a hook for me to introduce what we do in ministry and, of course, my testimony. Uh, the other thing is the last six years, we've been very active in the Middle East, Iraq, and Syria. We're best known there for uh, helping women and children who've been horribly affected by ISIS. And uh, some of that included going in during the fighting with our teams, kitted up, armored vehicles to help get kids or women out of ISIS areas so yeah um, it's i think it's unique because we're high risk humanitarian slash missionaries that carry ak's i want to dive into that in more detail let's rewind and go all the way back to the beginning of your life story because like you said you do have a, a story of pain and redemption and i feel like to tell your story we've got to cover a lot of ground here so take us all the way back to your childhood what was it like growing up as a young victor marks well, I would say this, that the night <clears throat> I was conceived, uh, it was my mom and dad uh, got in a fight, and he straddled her and shoved rosary three beats down her throat and put a pistol to her head. And that is from both of them. They told me that later in life, as we sat down for lunch one time, it was the first time my parents had been together in the same room in my entire life. Uh, so it was awkward and I just thought, wow. Um, so my father, uh, obviously he, he wasn't there when my mom was, you know, showing, he would tell people that's not my kid. Oh, wow. And my, yeah. And my mother, bless her heart. She came from a troubled, abused background. And sadly she, you know, she made poor choices often women will try to correct their childhood by marrying the same type of guys that weirded them out or abused them thinking they, if they can just correct it in the adult life, somehow it helps the inner child and it doesn't work. My mother is a perfect example of that. She married six times. Uh, I lived, I went to 14 different schools, lived in 17 different houses. And as a result of her choice, the collateral damage were, us as kids. So, uh, again, my biological dad left us. He was a drug dealer and a pimp for a while, then went academia, then went into the occult. And, you know, this martial arts guru, excuse me, but it was just like, man, uh, the kids always pay the price for bad decisions adults make. Yeah. Whether it's war, whether it's abuse, whether it's divorce. Uh, I, I chuckle how parents husband and wives say, you know, I'm going through a divorce. I'm separating my wife, but you know, the kids will be okay. They're resilient. I'm like, yeah, they are resilient, but you wait till your teenage years, you wait till they process a little better and they realize how crazy this is. There's a place. Some of you are watching and listening, going through divorce. There is a place for divorce, abuse, infidelity, crazy making. I get all that. There is a place for it. And that's where I think God's grace will definitely be extended to children. But but people who are just thinking selfish. Yeah. There's a lot of that today. Kids pay price. Yeah. There's a lot. I've got a friend right now who, as a matter of fact, I'm going to be interviewing him on my radio show tomorrow. 
And I've known this guy for years. He calls me up. He says, hey, man, this was several months ago. He goes, you know, I hadn't been doing good with my wife. I said, yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he ends up saying, so I've left her. So you left her? He goes, yeah. And um, I'll just be honest with you, Victor. I'm, I'm living with a girl. I said, seriously? And he told me who it was. I'm like, you're out of here ever living mine, dude. I mean, that's bad choice upon bad choice. Because I know it doesn't look good, but <laughs> I've never felt love for a girl like this. I'm like, you never felt sex with a girl like that. That's all that, brother, that is going to be short term. And you just swallowed a grenade and it's going to explode on you. Mm. And it did. But it was, I, I told him as a friend, I said, dude, you're so selfish. You can't even see. I said, I love you. Cause we're friends, but I, I'm going to kick you square in the nards. Cause this <laughs> is crazy making. And guess what? He ended up coming back a few months later. Cause we talked, we talked and finally he, he, one day he's like, Oh my gosh, it's a nightmare. I said, really? Yeah. Oh, hmm. and, and then, you know, you could start to see his teenage kids start to spiral and have struggles. And I just said, man, God can redeem this, but you've got to undo it. And you know what it ended up taking him being so broken mm. that he goes, oh, my gosh, I've really not been following the Lord. I'm like, I could be in your same place, I told my friend, if I took my eyes off the Lord, if I didn't keep my hands to the plow. But I don't want to repeat what my parents did and what my mom married many times. I saw the craziness of an insecure woman bringing bad guys into her home that the kids paid a price. And the price I paid was with a stepfather who was sexually abusive, emotionally, physically, and he tortured me as a kid. Mm. So from the ages of about, you know, three to seven, there was four years of pretty intense bad things happening to me as a kid. And eventually... Through all the circumstances, I was uh, left for dead in a commercial cooler. But, Man. you know, God has the ultimate say on life and death, no matter what people say. And I definitely was like Humpty Dumpty, fell off a wall, and all the king's horses, all the king's men, nobody could put me back together again. My mind was so fractured and split, and I was struggling. But God did. He, the Lord, did. And that's why I'm able to be here today. Amen, man. Wow. Do you know that if the the instance that you're referring to when you were left in a commercial cooler, was he intentionally trying to kill you or did he just not care and just left you? That was a fella. Wasn't he my stepfather? Because I'll tell you, abuse seldom happens singularly or with one person. There's something so demonically evil about people who are abused. It's like demons know, and they drive other people, and you become a victim. That particular case was a neighbor of my grandparents in the country down south. And um, when I was just, man, I was just a little kid playing in the middle of the summer, and he brought me into this chicken. It's where they divided chicken eggs and coops because it was a chicken farm. And he shut and locked that door. And I never forget, he said, this is what's going to happen. If you tell anybody, I'll kill you. So I'm not a, I wasn't a compliant kid with him. Uh, So he went to do weird stuff. And then he, I really think he was trying to keep his promise to kill me. So he, he shut me in this cooler, locked it. 
And he was hoping, we believe, he was hoping that I would die, but my relatives and people would think I was playing in there, crawled into this cooler and the door shut. Yeah. That was, uh, so, you know, when they didn't find me for hours, they looked in the woods, they looked, there was a little pond, they looked down by the pond, and I had a little toy. Uh, it's a self-made toy. It's a little corn cob that you stick chicken feathers on the backside of it, and you throw it, and it whirly birds down, and that was in that room. And when they saw that, they opened the cooler, and I was unconscious. Wow. And I'd been in there for hours. So, yeah, you know, eventually, uh, when, I, when I was able to tell them what happened, they actually got a group of um, people, just a small group, went and found the guy, kicked in his door, a screen door, beat him in front of his family, then drug him behind a tractor behind my mamma's house and hung him from a pecan tree. And, wow. you know, I, I, there's a film out, there's a documentary film called The Victim Mark Story. It's now on YouTube. It's in 15 languages. People can go see exactly where the chicken coop was, where the freezer was, the cooler, and the pecan tree, the actual pecan tree when we filmed. And that was the first time I had been back in decades. Wow. And I walked right up to the pecan tree. And you, know what's, you know what's wild, Mark, is pecan trees don't live that long. This thing did. And it had a side limb that they hung him from. And when I say hung him, until he passed out and they let him down, uh, you know, they cut him down, but he eventually died from it. Country justice, they say. Yeah. But, uh, cause he had a bad heart and all, you know, other stuff, but that tree was still there when we went and filmed. Freaked me out. And, you know, I was just like, holy smokes, this is still here. And, and I think God allowed it so that we could tell the story. Um, but you know, that's why I say, um, People who suffered abuse and injustices, you have a right to be angry. And that's what's wrong with a lot of men these days. They're angry yeah. because bad things have happened. Whether it wasn't them, it could be their mom. Sure. You know, when I go in the juvenile facilities and deal with gang members, I can tell you without reservation, one of the number one things these kids are so angry at is, and these are, these are hardcore kids. Is a dad not being there for them, their dad not being there, and then them listening to their mother have sex with another man that ain't their dad. Ooh. That yeah. I've I man, I've 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 told those kids, I said, I know what you're angry at. Da, 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 and I tell them, you can see hot tears streaming down their faces, gang members. Clinch's fence. Cause all they want to do as a little kid is to go in that room, stab the man in the neck, because they know it's all wrong. So there's so much pain and anger. And I tell people, you have a right to be angry, but now what are you going to do with it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're right. There are a lot of hurting guys out there, people in general, men specifically for the sake of this conversation. it's I think it's more common than we realize or want to admit. And it is, it's taken a toll on masculinity. I think that's where a lot of the, the quote unquote toxic masculinity comes from is this pain manifesting in I would agree. unhealthy ways. Yeah. I, I would agree. <clears throat> you know, I told somebody yesterday on a radio interview, I said, I embodied an aspect of toxic masculinity when I was in the Marine Corps. 
Because I was told as a kid, three things you need to do and be in order to be a man. And that was to drink, you know, hold your liquor, fight, never back down from a fight, and then chase skirt. Um, well, that in itself doesn't determine if you're masculine or manly. Mm-hmm. And you know how I found out is I served in the Marine Corps. I met some women Marines who could uh, hold their liquor better than me, fight as good as me, and they actually got more skirt than I ever could think of because they were lesbians. So I sat there and thought, well, that just ruins my whole idea of manhood. Uh, and I had to start, you know, uh, my quest for finding out, wow, what is this really about? Yeah. So, okay, going back to your childhood uh, just for a moment. So coming from history of unbelievable, we'll call it torture. Surely you had, yep. as you, as you grew into your teen years, you had some coping mechanisms, I would imagine. Did you have any problems as a teen? Yep. Yep. Um, again, I had dealt with the anger, you know, and the anger, you either swallow a grenade or you pull the pin and it blows up on other people. Um, I did both, you know, where I got into drugs early on sixth grade. Oh, wow. That's early. Drugs in the, yeah, and I tell people, look, I wasn't doing drugs to be cool, hang out. I did them because I hurt. Yeah. I didn't want to remember. I didn't, I, you know, uh, and while I had friends who would do stuff just for a thrill, I was like, I was really using it as a coping mechanism. And because I didn't tell, you know, you don't tell your friends, you don't tell your childhood friends stuff that's going on, either because you think it's just kind of common, normal, everybody's got their crap. Uh, but for me, we moved around so much. I was not able to establish, you know, friendships that I could trust, whatever, just kind of boom, boom, boom. But drinking, uh, fighting, uh, you know, I, I, I started to see the value in women and girls. And there were times that I chose not to take advantage of them. I will say that that definitely started happening where I was struggling with values and, uh, you know, again, as a kid, I was sent away to, as a teenager, I was sent away to spend a summer with an aunt and uncle who weren't my aunt and uncle, but they were friends of a new stepfather. And uh, I remember one night, you know, them waking me up, tell me, come in the room or whatever, come in the room, this lady's butt naked, and they want me to engage in sexual stuff with them. Wow. And, how old were you? And yeah, that I was fifteen. Wow, I think it was fifteen at the time. Yeah, fifteen or sixteen. And um, you know, again, inherently, I knew this is weird. This is wrong. But yet, this is the friends of my parents. You know, my stepfather, and end up finding out the guy. This guy, I called him Uncle Red. Uh, I don't even, I don't even know if the guy's alive now. He, he had, he had a huge scar around his neck. I remember asking, what's that about? He goes, uh, that's where I try to hang myself. And he was actually in prison with my stepfather because they had both killed people. And that's where they met Chino prison. And I remember going, wow, this is, uh, this is just getting weirder, weirder and weirder. So I remember coming home, uh, you know, kind of feeling tainted and weird. And, uh, and I never forget, uh, 
being asked, so what did you learn this summer? I just thought, and, and yet we go to church sometime. How does this, how does this work? And that's one of the things I would say when I get on a soapbox, I'm, I'm pretty frustrated, Mark, with, with the average Christian church in America, the direction Christianity has gone. It's gone the way of culture. It's not biblical. Uh, uh, we, we have substituted getting men in the pulpit who are leaders, who are courageous, for guys who have a gift to teach or speak but don't have spines and are sackless in so many ways, and yet we make them the epitome of what Christianity should be. Like here at our training center, Colorado, we, um, my CEO is uh, former military special operations. He was a, was a commander of a squadron at Delta. Uh, so that just kind of gives you a peek into the level of team members we have. Yeah, that's legit. But I forget we had, yeah, a uh, thousand missions, never lost a man, five bronze stars and a silver. Wow. Uh, definitely one of the best monster hunters uh, I've ever worked with. And he's a dear friend, good brother. But we get, we get, I, recently we had a special operations active duty team with their wives come in, right? Uh, for a weekend of training and, and to work on their marriages. Because I don't forget, every guy said, okay, you know, this following Jesus, because that's part of our deal. It's like, hey, there's a spiritual aspect. You know, we'll shoot, you know, choke you out, whatever. Do all the stuff. Have fun. Simulations, training, jujitsu. But as, at the end of the day, it's like spiritually, we got to make sure we're ready in that area. And you know what? Every one of these guys, it was unreal, said, how am I going to fit into a church? I've tried to go to and there were certain churches, guys, that try, and they just go, I don't fit. Yeah. You know, because, I mean, that weekend, you know, I heard more F-bombs than I've heard in a while. And that was just from their wives. And, you know, uh, it's 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 like we we start determining what holiness is. And if somebody has a bad mouth, you know, oh, they're messed up. It's like I know guys with potty mouths who have better character and integrity than guys who are like, oh, I, you know, I don't smoke dipper chew or hang around with women who do. And I just go, man, we, we've messed this up. Yeah. We have to look at the character, the integrity of men, not, not external factors. Jesus, you know, God looked at the heart. And uh, I think the sanctification process is important. Man, we as churches in America, we, we've got to invite the men back in. Yeah, I agree. Churches have become, they're, they're very much geared towards the women. And I think it's reflected yeah. in the numbers that we see in attendance. So yeah, you're absolutely right. So what led you to joining the military? You said you're in the Marines. What, at what point did you decide that that yep. was for you? I graduated high school and my summer job, I was working at a place and I started stealing from this place. And I, to me, I knew it was just a temporary job. Uh, I was working at night as a bouncer in a big country bar. It was in Corpus Christi, Texas. And, you know, man, I was, I don't know if I was a buck 35, you know, little lion heart, but I was like, geez, you know, having to deal with big dudes. And I learned how to, I learned how to use verbal judo, I'll tell you right now, and make friends with all of the customers. 
case something weird went down, they'd be dragging big guys out. But I was working the daytime a little, like an department store or something, and uh, I got caught <laughs> stealing. And I mean, uh, they had me red-handed. Uh, it, it's a funny story. I, I'll, I'll spare your audience today, but uh, I was man. I had to. I took my shirt off, tie, tie class belt, all this stuff I was wearing, saying, "Hey, I wasn't like I'm going to steal it. I just, you know, I got to wear your merchandise in order to sell it." Uh, didn't go over too well. So the guy pulled out, their head of security pulled out this thing. He goes, you need to sign this. And it was a admission of being guilty and stealing and all that. And I was like, and I just went to the Marine Corps recruiter's office two weeks before and signed up. So it was a delayed deal. I was going to go into the Marines. Beirut bombing had just happened. Oh, okay. It was 1983. And I was very angry, right? Period in life. But I remember thinking, Dang Arabs, I'm going to go kill me some terrorists. So that's why I signed up. Uh, all those Marines were killed. And uh, that guy tried to give me a sign. I said, oh, I signed this. I'll go to jail. He goes, I said, I've joined the Marine Corps, and I'm heading there. And he's, he followed up. He said, if you do not follow through with this, he said, we'll, we'll put you in jail because we have your dead rights. He goes, so it was jail of the Marine Corps. That was all right. I'm already, I was glad I was heading toward the Marines. Yeah. Um, well, that's kind of cool that he yeah. acknowledged that, you know, and, and kind of nudged you that direction. <laughs> he, he did. He let me know, you know, <laughs> if in fact it, that I didn't, you know, go. that's why when I was in boot camp, I had pneumonia twice uh, in a 13 week period. And I mean, it was bad. They had to pull my lungs, uh, fluid, da, da, da. But I, I'll never forget the Navy doctor came in and he said the second time I had pneumonia uh, and they had to medevac me, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, hey, here, I'm signing. You're, you can get out of the Marines. I said, what? I'm laying there in bed. I said, no. He goes, what do you mean? He says, they pushed you. You know, your senior drill instructor, he's going to get in trouble for that. You could have died. Your lungs were filled. I, I remember looking at that doctor, tears in my eyes, and I said, I have nothing to go back to. I have to be a Marine. Wow. I really didn't have anything to go back to. And I remember he looked at me like I had issues, which I did. He said, all right, I won't sign your release to get out the court. He said, you're crazy like the rest of them. <laughs> and uh, I made it. I didn't even get recycled. I made it to the Marine Corps. Uh uh, end up being in the calm field and then a competitive shooter. Uh, but I thank God for the Marines. It was a good stabilizing place for me to kind of get my head together. Right, right on. How many years were you in? We were in for three years. Uh, and uh, that, that was a rare enlistment back then. It was God's plan for my life. And then I was in inactive reserve duty for three more. And actually I got married and they recalled me to go into Desert Storm, was just kick it up. And my wife said, negative, mister. <laughs> she goes, I said I wouldn't marry a Marine. Uh, she goes, I'm okay with a former, but not active because her dad was an active duty. Sure. Uh, her, her dad was a Marine serving uh, Korea. So, But what's wild is all these years later, I, I do pumps into, I've done 14 pumps into Iraq or Syria, Northern Africa. Um, Southeast Asia, 
and to, you know, we've faced ISIS from mortars to fights, shooting, just crazy stuff. And I wasn't a Marine, uh, you know, just a high-risk humanitarian. And you know what's you know what's amazing is my wife was in a lot of stuff with us. I mean, we got we still have a house there in Iraq. I was there last month, and uh, so so yeah, my wife she's the tough one of the bunch. I'll tell you right now, she's been me she's been with me uh, in some pretty crazy scenarios. But she's she's like, hey, we're serving the Lord. So if we die doing His will, then we win. Wow, and that's still her mindset. Yeah, tough gal, black belt. Okay, so I I want to get to your uh, high risk uh, humanitarian work here in a second, but at what point did you pick up like martial arts? Because we didn't mention you. I'll just say it, you're you're a badass. You've got like a what are you a seventh degree black belt in jujitsu or something like that? I got these Judy chops, uh-huh. registered deadly weapons. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I have to be careful just washing my face. I like myself out. I'm so bad. Uh, but when did I you pick that up? I'm good at getting it. Well, actually, I had a fascination with it as a kid, obviously. Sure. Yeah. But I didn't get serious until I joined the Marine Corps. And as soon as I was in the Marines, I went full bore. So I had uh, the great privilege from studying some some incredible guys. And then, you know, I was just at a time period. It was before MMA, uh, but there was a guy named Hoist Gracie. Yeah, I know the name. Who's yeah? Who started the you know first fight in UFC? And and I used to work out with Hoist in his garage. Oh wow, in California. Yeah, I, I was at still in the Marines. I would drive up and <clears throat> you know phenomenal guy. We work out, and then uh, I've just trained from some incredible people. Um, so, you know, I enjoyed the idea of not being taken advantage of. That was really my driving factor. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, I, <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, and it's the same way for many guys who are good fighters or, you know, proficient in uh, pugilistic arts or military or place or whatever. Uh, I, I find there's two type of guys that are most attracted that those who come from really screwed up backgrounds. So they, they embrace the warrior way are those who come from really solid backgrounds and they embrace the warrior way. Uh, and I would say Jeff Teagues, Colonel Teagues and me are, we're the exact, uh, epitome of those two. I come from a crazy background. He comes from a really solid, great background. And, uh, and most special operations teams are like that. You got guys who are so driven. You become very proficient at certain things. But the problem is if you can't control that drivenness, you know, it, it'll ruin you. It yeah. will, it'll catch up to you. So yeah, uh, that's why I've all, I always get very intrigued when somebody says, Hey man, you're the world's fastest gun to storm guy. You can hit a person eight times in a second. You know, the videos are out there and cause speed, speed became my deal and uh, non-telegraphic movement. So when people ask me, why did you become so good? Not they, they go beyond the technique and they go to why. And then that, that I say, thanks for asking. My stepfather held a gun to my head when I was seven years old in the chair pull the hammer back 
and he was tapping me in the side of the head. I could see the rounds. It was a revolver. And he said, boy, if you ever tell anybody what I've done to you, I'll blow your brains out. And I'll tell the police you got my pistol and we're playing with it and shot yourself. Now, this is a guy who had tortured me, electrocuted me, took me in water until I passed out, you know, bag over my head, hyperventilating. Wow. Whatever he, happened he to that guy? On on to, he, he ended up getting arrested and in prison. Uh, and then he, he escaped that prison, fled the country. They never caught him until he turned himself in years later. He was on the nightly news with Tom Brokaw. And, oh, really? Uh, for, for a manhunt, yeah. Because he was a he was importing drugs by a plane and boat from out of the country into the U.S. Uh, and he was definitely a pedophile. He had a very sick background of perversion. Uh, yeah, yeah. obviously. Yeah, yeah, so that's one of the reasons why we hunt pedophiles to this day. Well, I was going to get to that. That's I mean, that I driven I, us being led. Yeah, yeah. I assumed that that was one of the motivating factors behind what you do today. Um, but I got to ask, you know, at what point you're obviously a man of faith now? What point did you find Christ? What did that look like? Yeah, I was still in the Marines. Um, I, I was feeling the emptiness of life, right? Just hollowness, no matter what I did. Uh, you know, I could I I could bang it out with the best of fighters i had all this aggression i was partying i was chasing skirt you know getting all that stuff and but man i felt empty i felt so freaking empty and it wasn't until i got a letter from my biological dad the one that didn't claim me the last i'd heard of him he was literally practicing a cult he was a warlock you know casting spells on people and i still have the letter and mark he 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 he, his salutation was dear son. Mm. And when he, when I read that, it didn't make me feel good or valued or what it made me angrier. Sure. I was like, who, who are you to call me son? You've never been here for me. Uh, so just anger, but I read the letter and in it, he said, I, I know you think I'm crazy. I'm like, yeah, you are crazy. He literally was in a mental hospital. He got institutionalized for a while for homicidal tendencies. And it's the same mental hospital. It was Pineville State Mental Hospital in Louisiana. It was the same hospital his dad, my grandfather, had to go to and literally died in. Wow. So, you know, as a man, as a, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I guess we have time sharing this. Uh, And it'll be my turn before long. That's where I got to tell people, man, with God, all things are possible. You don't have to repeat the same craziness of your family, no matter what. And he sent me this letter. He says, I know you think I'm crazy. He goes, but this time I'm crazy for Jesus Christ. Wow. And I was like, whoa, the man had actually got born again, had an encounter with God. Pretty dramatic. Now he's reaching out to me to say, hey, can you just give me a chance? And we quickly established uh, at this point in my life as a Marine, I made it without you. I don't need a dad. If you want to try to be a friend, let's start there. So I took leave absence, went down to visit him. And he was this, he was a burly dude, thick, his monster forms, big knuckle dragging dude, flat nose. Mine's flat, but at least it pops back. 
And you know what? He he was so rough. His exterior was so rough. But yet something happened to his heart. He invited me to church. I was like, ah, I don't know. But I went. And I'll never forget. It was June 22nd, 1986. For me, I remember the day and what happened. People were worshiping God. And it was some type of Baptocostal church or something. And they're raising their hands and singing. And I was looking at some of his fighters. He trained fighters at the time. I was like, those guys are raising their hands. They're singing like loud in church. That's kind of weird. I'm not like that. And I was so challenged by what they did. I felt the Holy Spirit come down and convict me, truly convict me of my sin. Like I had done things wrong and I had not as bad as these other guys, but none of that mattered at the moment. It was my sin that put Christ on the cross. And all I felt was God's love. It was a weird, weird paradox of conviction of my sin and God's love and his willingness to want to cover it and erase it. And I surrendered my life to the Lord that day, man. And that was, I think that was the beginning of my journey to real manhood right there, submitting myself to God and his will and way from life, but also got forgiven for my stuff. That's powerful, man. And the power of grace, right? Because you would have been justified to, as soon as you started reading that letter, dear son, you would have been justified to just crumple that letter up and throw it in the trash can at that point. And I don't think anybody would have blamed you. And then not only that, you actually welcomed him into your life when you certainly didn't need to do that. I took the chance. I yeah. took the risk. Yeah. yeah. So good for you. Well, it always, it doesn't always turn out good for men with reconciliation with their dads, but I, you know, my advice is just make sure your heart doesn't get hard against it because you know what? It, it will decrease your capacity to love or be loved. It'll affect you even when they're gone. So, uh, but in my case, and if people would like to actually see that dude, he's in the film, he's in the documentary. God kept him alive long enough to where he could share his story. He's a, he's a rough old dude. (laughs) When the film crew was interviewing him, I wasn't there, right? They interviewed him. They said like, so you're from Louisiana. You were involved in it. And he was, yeah. And you know, he, he's socially inept in some ways, although he had an IQ of 185. He was this brilliant, brilliant guy who, you know, but it was funny because he told the film crew, he's like, yeah. They were like, well, how did you deal with guys? You had to, well, you know, we somehow let the alligators deal with them. <laughs> Everybody started laughing in the room except him. <laughs> and they were like, ah, ah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. And then he was like, was that too much information? <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, so he changed his address, but you know what? The great thing, he proved it's never too late to be a dad. I miss him, but I wouldn't want him back. I'm glad he's in heaven, and I'm glad he's, you know, he's doing recon for me and will welcome me when it's time for uh, me to change my address as well. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app.
Okay, so talk about your post-military endeavors, your high-risk humanitarian efforts. Describe what you do today. You've you've touched on it already, but kind of go into a little bit more detail because it's fascinating and um, heroic. Yeah, I'll say I'll call it heroic. Well, again, I know some heroes, man, and um, and beyond a shadow of a doubt, they're the kids and the women mm. that we help. Yeah, they're the victims, like you said. They're they're innocent and they're just caught yeah. in the caught in the crossfire. Yeah. I mean I was in Iraq last month, I remember holding a girl. Uh you know, little bitty girl. She's on my lap and uh we'd helped her with some surgeries. But looking at her, you wouldn't think anything was wrong. And her dad, you know, she's like six years old. And her dad just pulled her pants down in front of us, pulled her jeans down, no underwear, pulled her jeans down. And from her waist down, she was completely burnt, mm. just mangled scar tissue. Uh, and it's all because of ISIS, you know. And, and, the, and then he pulled her pants up and he just said, you know, thank you all for helping us so far. And he goes, you know, she needs more surgeries uh, because of, I mean, there's problems, even with her genitalia. Mm. And I remember thinking, this little girl, you could see the pain in her eyes, but yet she would muster a smile because for her, she had hope. And the answer to her prayers, it's us. They, they have no other. There is no secondary option. It's us. Mm-hmm. Because so many people have been affected, millions and there's not an infrastructure. That's why I get so pissed when people on social media, you know, tell me, why don't you take care of, you know, our kids here in America first? And I go, first of all, you assume we don't help in America, which shows your ignorance. Stop being lazy, making a weird comment, go to our website and see what we do. Yeah. Cause we have multiple lines of effort. But I said, uh, I'm pretty sure kids in your neighborhood aren't, being burned by ISIS or watching their parents be beheaded or, you know, tons of kids who were taken and shot. I've been in the mass graves. Wow. So we go to where the need is, regardless where it is in the world, but we're best known for inserting risk into bad people's lives, hurting their feelings stopping what they're doing, whether pedophiles, whether terrorists, whether cartel operations. Hmm. And we, we do small special operations type of work to help those who've been traumatized. That's the best way. And it's all done in the name uh, uh, with the love of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wasn't planning on going this route with my questions, but I'm just curious, like how do you go into a nation like, do you have government support or do like, does your question, does the American government know you're in there? Great. Surely they do. So that's a great question. And maybe and, you can't answer it. I don't know. Uh, this is what I can say. Okay. We do not take any funding from the U S government. Zero. We're not on for the CIA. We're, we, we don't backdoor stuff. We're bonafide, solid, I mean, I've looked at Muammar Gaddafi, 
the leader of Libya. I've looked at his number one spiritual leader on television, in a Libyan and Tunisia television, and he asked me, do you work for the CIA? I said, absolutely not. He said, are you funded by the State Department? Absolutely not. He said, so you're literally coming over here doing this high-risk craziness, dealing out of pure love for God and people? I said, yep. He goes, wow. People don't come over here just to help kids. They've always got these political or military deals. So with that said, uh, this last pump and direct last uh, month, part of our mission that took us to uh, a U.S. military forward operating base for special operations community at the tightest, smallest, it, the, you know, we were in a skiff. It, it, you know, I, I can't say more, but we went in there because of relationships, because believe it or not, special operations, Rations Committee have, has appreciated some of the work we've done. When you're forward of maybe them and you're bringing milk and diapers and water yeah. and relief or taking kids out of a bad area and, and they see you and they're like, what the hell are y'all doing here? And then they find out who we are. They're like, man, we will cover y'all on your exfil. Something gets weird. Trust you and me. So it's, uh, or we've been able to tell them, Hey, so we saw bad guys in this area. And they're like, thank you. <laughs> or as one person, a imam, I can say this. Uh, it's been long enough as <laughs> my assistant's looking at me. Straight <laughs> eyes. It's all good. Uh, there, was a, there was an imam in the Middle East. I won't say what country, but uh, we were having tea, developed a long relationship. And he, he leaned forward. When, when they lean forward, you know, you're like, oh, shoot. Oh, here comes something. Yeah. He goes, you know, he goes, you know, we watched you for two years. We watched you for two years operate here to make sure you really had pure motives. Wow. You weren't after oil. You weren't after political. You weren't with the military. That's why I'm going to help you with whatever you need. And I'll risk my life doing it. I said, oh, you know, and then this other time he leans forward and he goes, would you like the coordinates to an ISIS training camp? <laughs> when he said that, my response was, sir, if I receive that information, if, what do you want me to do with it? Because yeah. that's the right question. Yeah. I mean, that's the real world. That's, that's, that's the movies in real life. Yeah. And he looked at me and he said, Kill them. Kill them all. They're a virus. They're not even true Muslims. They're extremists that kill us. They should be killed. I said, well, I just happen to know some friends who are very proficient at that. <laughs> they get paid for it. Yeah. So I'll, I'll take the information. And Dash and ISIS, if you're watching, ha, you know me anyway. I could care less. <laughs> Who hadn't gotten me. Ah, oh, man. God's got me protected. It is like something out of a movie. Why haven't they made this into a movie? I mean, I know you do your own filmmaking, but seriously, this sounds like a blockbuster film. Yeah. I, I, what? No, I, because we, we're still doing the work. We had, uh, I will tell you this the producer of Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah. A movie that came out recently. Yeah. 
they I, I was told that he's looking at our story and looking to buy the rights of it. But for us, we just we're still busy doing the work. Yeah. I mean, we're prepping to go to southern Mexico, Colombia, Cuba on our next mission. Wow. Right now. So it's like, you know, uh we're we're just busy doing the work. If God wants it one day, it'll happen. But uh, we love doing the work. I remember I remember I was telling one I have an older brother. I call him the shake because he's an oil field guy, right? And he became very successful. He's like, you know, I don't know. I was talking some ministry, you know, jargon to him. He just looks at me and goes, brother, easy on the whole thing. He just, he called me out because I was like, yeah, well, you know, uh, I don't know. I think I was asking him, hey, uh, you know, we need money for a new armored vehicle, whatever. You got money. And he, he doesn't pour money out. He's he's pretty frugal, but he has support. It's pretty funny. He goes, just tell me the truth. You enjoy the risk. Don't act like it's something. I said, of course I do. Yeah. So do my teammates. We're, we're people who embrace risk and conflict because we operate well under it. But I said, you know, um, we don't go looking for trouble, uh, but we go to the areas that it is. And when we find it, we back in now, we felt like God brings us to place to bring order out of chaos and to, like we captured a bad guy in uh, Cambodia recently who would burn a girl's face, cut her hand off. The story is called Nora. People can go to our website and check out the story of Nora, uh, an orphan that was raped. I mean, it's just horrific. Mm. But I remember telling her while she was in the hospital, bandaged up, I said, I give you my word, we'll find him. He was a wealthy guy. He's the Epstein of the Cambodia area, right? Nobody's going to touch him. He's got money. He can go in and out of country and da-da-da. We got him. It took us a year and a whole bunch of cowboys. We got that sucker. And there's video footage of the capture, and he's in prison right now. And this dude was so bad, so evil, that when we moved this girl into a, a really nice hospital for surgeries to save her life, he sent three guys to kill her. We wow. have the video footage, three guys to kill her, but we had guys posted with weapons, so they were not able to do it. Wow. Because we knew. Our team lead said, no, I, I got a bad feeling. My spotty senses, because if he could kill her, the case is over. Sure, yeah. And uh, so, you know, I just tell people that's one line of effort that we do. Counter sex trafficking, counter pedophile. Trauma relief for those who've been affected. We help the military. I speak at military bases because the suicide rate is so high. Yeah. We try to teach a residency. We work with men to help them reclaim their manhood or for some just to get it. I've stopped blaming the young millennials for being, you know, uh, not masculine. I've, I've stopped barking at them. And I just, because I've realized, heck, they know it. They're struggling. I mean, their blood work, just do their blood work. Their testosterone levels are so stinking low. And and I and believe it or not, I tell men, go get your blood work checked. You should be running test levels of 800 to 1,200, period. If you're below that, you, you know, it, it'll get so low, you'll start looking at your wife's high heels, singing they're comfortable. <laughs> so it's, it's like, look, get your test level high. Make it a level playing field. And then... You know, somebody asked me yesterday, they go, you talk a lot about manhood, da, da, da. 
masculine. And they go, what's your definition of manhood? And I went, great question. And I can answer it every time because early on, I had to figure it out. Part of it was from Raising a Modern Day Knight. That was, that was a great book that helped me. Uh, but I think manhood is accepting responsibility, right? Yep. Rejecting passivity. Yep. Because the, the natural lean toward men is just to be passive. Um, so reject passivity, accept responsibility, fight for the greater good. You got to have a battle. You, something's got to be bigger than you, even bigger than your family. Something that's like, I'm involved in something that's making a difference. Yep. Um, a mission in life. And it doesn't matter. A mission in life. It doesn't matter what it is, honestly, because God will direct you to it. I believe a man should seek to love one woman. And if he gets divorced and the first one doesn't work out, fine. Okay. But find the one woman and love her. I mean, love her, live and die for her. Raise your children if God blesses you with them uh, to be the best that they can for him. And then, you know what? Just walk humbly with God. Mm, Just walk humbly with the Lord. And then, of course, my little bonus is going to be help widows and orphans in the time of need is pure and undefiled religion. And we just had a team member on the, you know, doing an operation on the border of Texas and Mexico. And we were able to identify men bringing kids in bad men. Yeah. And, uh, and we work with the authorities. We try to work with the authorities to go back to answer your question in any country uh, those that we trust. So we're, we're not coming in on black Hawks at night, you know, <laughs> and uh, not all the time. Uh, yeah. And repelling with the K bar in our mouth upside down, saving children. Uh, we, we've actually, uh, there's a full spectrum of what we do. And I, I know right now in the U S uh, there's this false narrative going around of door kicking kit wearing, child rescue. And I just tell people, be careful of organizations that claim that all the time. Oh. Uh, you know, I can tell you, uh, the marshals just put out us marshals just put out a letter, uh, thanking us for working with them to recover a bunch of children and to put a bunch of bad people in jail. Uh, it, it, so we do, we do a lot of quiet work in the U S again, Counter-sex trafficking, pedophile-related, but with law enforcement. But sometimes we do a lot of the work that they don't have time or bandwidth and set some dominoes up and step back and watch them fall. Mm. And bad people get their feelings hurt. There are things that go on that we're involved in that no one will ever know. And we're okay with that. That's the quiet professional side. We're okay with it. Yeah. Because the mission got accomplished. Right. We, we We don't need the pat on the back. We just need to know. Yeah. Kids were help. Man, this is, I could, I could, uh, I could keep going for another hour. This is fascinating stuff. And, um, I do hope that someday your story gets told on the big screen. Cause it's, it's worthy. So where can people go to learn more about what you're doing and support the work that you guys are doing? We're all over social media. Last week we had 22 million impressions, 1.2 million engagements. Wow. So, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that type of stuff. Or my website, 
Victor Marks with an X. It's M-A-R-X, VictorMarks.com. And they can see the lines of effort that we're doing. And we always welcome people to pray for us. And then if someone so feels inclined, we never turn down monthly supporters. I'm telling you, five bucks to give us a gallon of diesel, uh, you know, or a bag of groceries or, you know, ammo, uh, uh-huh. which in this day and age is like 10 rounds. So, you know, <laughs> whatever God leads, but get on our newsletter. And I will say this. Let me just say this is a benefit added for your listeners. If if you like to strengthen your marriage, we, my wife and I just did a marriage course. They can oh. do it online with the spouse, without single divorce. It's just go to victormarks.com forward slash marriage. And all of our courses are pay what you want. So literally you can go in there and go, I want to take this course. I'll pay a dollar, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter to us. We just want people to benefit from our experiences where we've seen the goodness of God. Because in my marriage, 30, 33 years this year, we've been separated twice. And I'll tell you, we've lived it. We have lived it. Uh, so, yeah. And then we have our daily intelligence brief. If people really want to get good clarification of what's true, what's not, we have analysts uh, and from the intelligence world that own our teams. And we put out a daily intelligence brief, victormarks.com forward slash brief. Man, sign up for that thing. Uh, you'll get in your email daily, and it's good. It's good. It, it keeps you focused without getting tainted from watching the news. Yeah. Right? Yep. Because you can watch the news and get lathered up and like, oh, there's no hope. Ugh. There is hope. There, there is hope. So, yeah, that's that's what I would say. That's that that's a good point of action. Right on. Well, we will link to all of those in the show notes. Victor, thanks again for your time today. This has been fascinating, and Godspeed and and God's protection going forward, brother. Thank you. Appreciate your friendship, Mark. Guys, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's conversation, share it with a friend and subscribe to the show so you don't miss future episodes like the one you heard today. And be sure to check today's show notes for all the ways you can stay plugged into the Inspired Legacy, including my free download called Nine Ways to Be a Better Dad. You can sign up for my free weekly devotional called Inspired Inbox, and you can join the private Facebook group, a community of other like-minded men looking to become the best husbands and fathers they can be. So get plugged in, like, subscribe, leave a review, and help more guys find the show because we need more men battling together for the sake of the next generation. Until next time, live inspired.